to another episode of the Into the Night Minute. Each week, Movies by Minute hosts examine the 1985 John Landis-directed comedy Into the Night, one minute of screen time per episode. I'm Chris Ramirez, uh, co-host of Minute Impossible, another Movies by Minute, uh, where we break down the Mission Impossible franchise or one minute at a time. Uh, we are currently on Mission Impossible 2, so go check us out at MinuteImpossible.com. So we pick up on uh, minute 18 where we left off on um, last yesterday's minute, minute 17, with the same shot of uh, Diana's legs uh, kicking. Now, the sequence is, is extremely well edited by Malcolm, uh, Malcolm Campbell, who they also edited uh, numerous other uh, John Landis films in the early 80s and into the late 80s. He'd edited uh, Thriller and he edited American World for London. He was an assistant editor on... Um, the uh, Blues Brothers, he had Trading Places, and Coming to America. <laughs> the list, basically, most of his movies in the 80s, they were edited by Malcolm. But there's some great, great cuts in, in these scenes uh, where we're we're basically cutting to shots of the legs, a quick shot of, of Landis, a shot of uh, Landis's hand on um, Michelle Pfeiffer's mouth as she screams, shots of them uh, pulling uh, her gentleman friend into the uh, the trunk. I mean, it's just this is great great set of shots that just really, really helps to build up the the tension and the sense of fear and desperation that uh, Diane is feeling as these guys just attack her. I mean, Landis is saying, says in a documentary about, you know, a retrospective documentary about the film, he saw Diane as a character that was uh, an actress who had kind of hit the point where she ended up becoming basically a party girl and had her life set now that she was with this uh, gentleman who she was living with and that was her boyfriend. Uh, and as we find out later, there's also more to her backstory about you know her relationships and whatnot. At this point in her life, she thought she had it set and had it all set. And then uh, basically here she is having the rug pulled out from under her. As an actress, you can really see, uh, as a character, you can really see Diane and Michelle Pfeiffer really struggling in this sequence. And I think it's great. Uh, she really makes... The character is sympathetic and makes you uh, care for her in this moments, and, and and especially with her screaming and her uh, fear that she's putting off here. Again, back to uh, Michelle Pfeiffer's performance in the sequence is just like I said, it's it really is one of those performances that helped to make her a star and make her who she is today. I think that had it not been for this film, both Michelle Pfeiffer and Jeff Goldblum wouldn't have have the careers that they have today. I know the film wasn't really huge, but but they were able to sell um, sell their own careers on the fact that this movie had their names both above the titles, and that was thanks to uh, John Landis having final cut on the film, which is amazing that he was you know so generous of him to put them above the title. But they really do make this film with Diane uh, making a run for it. This is the first chance we really get a good chance to uh, to see the Savox uh, attack who attacked her uh, interact with one another. Now the interesting thing about this is that that all the three actors outside of uh, John Landis in the sequence are all of Persian descent and are all speaking Farsi for real. But uh, Landis, uh, as he said himself, is not uh, very good, uh, not very good with uh, other tongues and other 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 dialects. So he's decided, as you'll see later in the film, he's decided to make his character mute. He's got a big scar on his neck and a couple other scars throughout his uh, his face and his his body 
in the neck area so that way he could justify him not speaking. So he kind of plays the the mute straight person through all this, but he's really, the whole group of them are really a Keystone Cops sort of description, uh, you know, uh, depiction of, of these killers. So they're not really, they're, they're, they are killers and they are deadly, but they're not really the best at it and they're constantly bumbling. So they really are the, the Keystone Cop version of these sort of psychotic killers that he's portraying here. And, and as you see in the scene, uh, in this minute, they are bickering back and forth as to not shoot in a public place. Uh, that's why they killed the other gentleman with the with a knife and try to make it quick and easy. But here they are arguing over, you know, whether to shoot or not, and arguing with one another, bickering. And Landis is looking at them and, and trying to get their attention and tapping them on the shoulders and, and saying, hey, look, she's getting away without saying it. But he does a very funny job of, of playing playing sort of the straight comedic foil to these other three uh, actors. But it, it is very funny. You know, they play that line very on the razor's edge of playing, you know, psychotic and funny at the same time. So it's, it's a very twisted sort of portrayal. But at the same time, the movie as a whole is very dark and twisted that way. So it's very much a black comedy trait that they're pulling off here. And I think they do it quite well, um, especially as we, we move on through the through the next couple of uh, scenes in the next couple of minutes. After this week, you'll see that that actors come and go and, and they're playing. They all play big parts in this in this the overreaching story. So it's 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 a lot of fun. But you'll get to that later. Back to the scene. So Diana is running away from from these guys, and we hear the whirring of an engine as if they're trying the the the, the stuttering of the engine as as Ed is trying to start his engine. Uh, we see uh, Diane make her way down the parking garage. She trips, of course, because you know it's like a horror film at this point. Now, now we're back to to Landis playing off of his strengths from Thriller and. American Wolf for London, like I said, you know, the design of this scene is very much in, in Landis's wheelhouse of horror, but also with his comedy and his uh, thriller aspects that he's, he's played off of in the last couple of films. After Diane has uh, fallen on the floor uh, and makes her way to down the, uh, the corridor of the parking garage, uh, she does this great, uh, there's this great shot of her reaching out and looking towards, not towards the camera, but past the camera, like, uh, like she's in a horror film. Uh, very similar to uh, to American Wolf in London and uh, Thriller at the same time. Where Landis has a has a very uh, keen sense of of playing to the camera and playing to the audience with the trope that he's at. And like I said, she she falls down in this sequence uh, on the ground of the of the parking garage, and she's reaching out like she's in a horror film. And she hears the, the footsteps running towards her, and she gets back up and runs down the the parking garage again and we cut to ed starting his engine or trying to start his engine and having trouble and there's these quick shots these great quick shots of her running down the the parking garage and then the the savox running after her then it really really builds up this sort of tension of the the claustrophobic nature of car car parks and and garages like this and i think that really plays that it's, it's a trope that we see a lot now in horror films i mean i saw it the other couple months back in and happy death day they they used the whole sequence in the parking garage and then also you know even things a year after this one after this film you had highlander do a whole action sequence in parking garage parking garages are big uh for films because i think that they give you a lot of control but at the same time they're they're scary at times especially at night like this time of night and you never know what's going to happen in them so i, I think it was it's it's always a, a fun place to set a scene is, is a parking garage like this because anything can happen so anyway diana here's the the worrying of, of Ed's engine starting or not starting if, as that were. And uh, she makes her way to the car and there's this great shot of her running towards the, the barrier of the, that separates the, uh, the levels there. And she hits that barrier and she 
screams out, help me, help me, just like a horror film, just like as if she was being chased by a zombie, a werewolf, a mass killer. And that, that's great. It, it's, it, it is the start, oddly enough, of Ed and Diana's uh, meet cute, if you will. It, it's, it's not, we're not there yet, but it's, it's the beginning of the sequence that's going to be their meet cute. And uh, for those of you who don't know or who don't know the, the term meet cute, I'm sure most of you do. But just for clarification, it's a scene in uh, a, usually a romantic comedy or a, you know, a drama, you know, basically romantic comedies where we use that term for the most part, uh, where the two main characters meet. And it's usually a funny sequence or it's a, uh, a, a clever sequence like uh, When Harry Met Sally or, you know, Sleepless in Seattle, not Sleepless in Seattle, but, uh, you know, It Happened One Night, things like that where the two main characters meet and sort of the inklings of them falling in love start there. Or they hate each other at first, but then they certainly fall in love. Well, this is the same sort of situation that we're going to have in this scene in the next minute, not in this minute, but in, in tomorrow's minute, where the two uh, finally meet and, and their lives are thrown together and they have to move forward together to uh to survive the night as a willer uh, ed doesn't know this yet but uh but uh we as an audience kind of assume that that's where it's going uh which is nice you know it, it's it's a fun it, it's it's a fun little twist on the meat cute which i think is is the fun part about this film real quick i want to talk about diane uh Doodleman's the costume designer, who is also uh, Landis's wife, her costumes in this are, are amazing. I mean, we don't see a whole lot of them in these few minutes, but she really does a great job dressing uh, Michelle Pfeiffer in this film. I think that there's there's some great costumes. I think what she's wearing in this costume is is really really great. It's a fun sort of '80s outfit, but it's really the outfit that she ends up wearing throughout the rest of the film that you'll see in later minutes. That is really the iconic outfit of this of this film. If this film has an iconic outfit. It's the red jacket, the jeans, and the white shirt that she wears. Um, speaking of red jackets, uh, Najudelman uh, also designed the iconic, the iconic Michael Jackson jacket uh, from Thriller. So, I mean, that was one of the things that she designed for uh, Landis. But beyond that jacket, she also designed the iconic jacket of Indiana Jones and and dressed Indiana Jones in the first one as a Lost Ark film. So that's one of those things that She's obviously got a very good sense of style when it comes to to dressing the main characters and getting getting their 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 the characters across with their own clothing. And in this moment, we do see that Diana is basically the taking care of party girl who has the best outfits and the best clothes and the best stuff. And as the movie progresses from these minutes forward, you see that that her life isn't really what she uh, presents as that she looks like she's rich and taken care of and all these things, but it's obviously a facade for her, for her pain and for her real, her real life, which uh, when you get to it, you'll, you see that she's got, uh, it's all a facade for, for her. And she's just trying to do the best of what she can. At this point, we're, we're coming to the end of the minute. And like I said, she's, she reaches that barrier and Ed looks up and sees her screaming for help. And that's where our minute ends. Uh, tomorrow we'll be back, or I'll be back with a minute 19 and the sequence that continues from here. Before I go, I'd like to let you know that you can find the Into the Night podcast on iTunes and Google Play or at the main site, nightminute.com. You can also find us on social media at The King Lives Listener's Limo on Facebook and on Twitter at Night Minute. You can find me, Chris Ramirez, and my co-host, Jonathan Howell, at minuteimpossible.com or you can also find our podcast on iTunes and Google Play or anywhere you find your podcasts from. You can, you can join us on social media at The Impossible Minute Force on Facebook or at Min Impossible on Twitter and 
Minute Impossible on Instagram. I've been Chris Ramirez. Thank you for joining me and come back tomorrow for another minute of Into the Night. Do we thank you or what? I say I fall in the or what category.